ask you to go back with me in your memory banks. Some of us, we're going to go way back. Some of us, it's just a little while back. But how many of you can remember the, the sensation or the feeling of that, of that first moment, first day, or first few weeks when you got your driver's license? How many of y'all remember what that was like when you were just kind of like, so did anybody ever take it out of your wallet just to look at it and make sure it was real? Like, you know, because in Texas, I don't know how they do it in other states where other people have to live, but when you get to live in Texas, you get that, that first thing is a piece of paper. At least it used to be. You know, they, they give you that piece of paper, and you have to fold it up about 20 times to fit inside your wallet. And then you get the license. And, and I remember that sensation when I was 16 years old. I, I remember getting that driver's license and going, I could go anywhere that I want to go right now. I could just go as far as my 1975 Toyota Celica four-speed can take me. And I remember looking at that license, and, and the, the reality of, of getting that license and the freedom that it allowed, the freedom that it created, really came home for me just a few weeks after I got my license, because it was just a few weeks after that, that I got invited to the very first formal dance that I ever went to as a high schooler. How many of y'all remember the first formal, you know, where you got to rent the tuxedo and the, the tie that you don't tie, it clips on right there, and the you know, shiny shoes that pinch your feet, and I was, uh, fortunately, I was just out of, I, I had just kind of gotten into the post-love boat tuxedo phase. We were, we were doing black tuxedos, but if I'd have been born like four years earlier, it'd have been powder blue, ruffle shirts, just like some of y'all got married in, but you know what I'm talking about. I still remember that formal, man. I, I remember the girl who invited me to it, Wendy Harrell, and, and I remember being so excited and, and thinking about this, I was part of what added to my excitement was my mom gave me an extra hour of curfew because it was a formal dance. And it was kind of the first deal, it was a big deal. And so I was going to get to go and stay out later than usual. I, I don't remember, I, it was after midnight, but I don't remember what the exact time was. And the week before this formal dance, I remember just kind of casually mentioning to my mom in the kitchen of our home, I'll never forget, I just kind of, just off the cuff said, oh, and mom, by the way, you know, I won't be at church Sunday morning because I'm going to be out late Saturday night. And I will never forget my mother. Very, very calm. My mom, she, she had danced a lot growing up, and she kind of pirouetted in the kitchen. And she took her glasses down her nose, and she looked at me, and she said, oh, really? And why is that, pray tell? Now, for those of you who think I'm making this up, you've never met my mom. That's really how she talks. And, and I remember saying, well, mom, I mean, I'm going to be out late. It's not like I'm going to get up early and go to church. And, and just so you know, I wasn't even trying to push the envelope or test the waters. I was just kind of like stating the obvious. And she went, she said this to me. She said, oh, no. She goes, you are more than welcome to fly with the turkeys Saturday night until whatever time it was. But come Sunday morning, you will be getting up with the chickens because we go to church. And I remember that moment because it was such a profound learning experience because I learned something in that moment that I'd been experiencing my whole life. I learned in that moment that at least in our household, at 7711 Pagewood, Houston, Texas, 77063, 
phone number was 713-780-4445. I learned in that moment that for better or worse, we were a church family. That, that, was, that was just who we are. That was what we did. My mom made no bones about it. And, and I remember looking back on that years and years later, thinking how brilliantly she played that. It, there, was no, there was no screaming. There was no yelling. There, there was no, oh, yes, you will. There, there was none of that. It was just very, very calm, very cool, but very authoritatively, oh, no, we go to church. And you know, some of you, like if you're in high school right now, sometimes you just know there is no use even trying. Like, like you can just tell the line has been drawn and established in concrete. And I knew that there was no discussion, there was no debate. And at least one time in my life, I didn't push the edge of the envelope. And I just kind of went, oh, good to know. All right, I'll see you at church on Sunday, Mom. That was kind of the, the lesson and message received in that moment. Now, for the last few weeks, you and I, together as a church family, have been immersed. We've invested ourselves in this series called Fearless Family. And for those of you who are scoring at home, we will have devoted seven weeks of our entire calendar to this subject matter. And I'll, I'll do the math for you. That's almost 15% of the entire year has been devoted to the spiritual the biblical, theological significance and importance of the family as God lays it out. Because the fact of the matter is, we're all part of a family, good, bad, or ugly, no matter where you are in life, no matter your marital status or where you are in school, we're all connected by family in some way, shape, or form. And before I take just even another step, I want you to know, we had actually decided months ago that this series was going to end on Mother's Day. And if I, while I'm here for just a second, would you join me in thanking my bride, Julie, for her sermon last weekend on Mother's Day? I'm telling you what. Girl can shuck the corn. I mean, that's just all there is to it. But we had decided we, we were going to shut the series down with, you know, end on a bang, end on an up notice and always leave them wanting more. But then... Then we realized there, there was still something else to talk about that I had never heard a sermon on. I've never seen a, a, a sermon on this particular subject, and that is the relationship that every single family has to the church. Every family has a relationship with the church. Now, we've used the terminology that Lake Hills Church, or, or any church really particularly, is a church family because the Bible talks about the fact that the church, the bride of Christ, is the family of faith. It helps us to understand what the church is supposed to be, what, it, what it's supposed to look like, how it's supposed to operate and function. But the reality is every single family has a kind of church personality, if you will. And I want to ask you, if you will, take out your programs that you got when you came in this morning. Go ahead and take those out right now. I want to ask you to list, I want to just give you three different categories of church families that, that really all of our families fall into. In, in our context and in our culture here in the United States, most, the vast, vast majority of all families fall into one of these three categories. The first category of a church family 
is what I call the, the cause church family. They'll go to church if there's a good enough reason, if there's a cause to go. And these are the folks who show up only at, at Christmas and Easter because that's what you do. Or if, if there's a wedding or maybe a funeral or maybe, maybe if there's a baptism of a friend's child, they'll go to that. But, but by and large, they're, they're not connected to the church on the reg. I mean, they, they, it's not a part of their lifestyle. They, these are just cause church families. Second kind of church family is a client church family. A client church family. These are the folks who, who kind of look at the church as a professional services firm. And when they need the church, they, they've got enough of a relationship. They, they've kind of kept the church on retainer, you know? And they can pick up the phone and call somebody that they know if if there's a wedding that's fixing to happen and they want somebody to officiate or, or, you know, if somebody's gotten sick and is in the hospital or some other life, you know, big event, then they, they, the client will call the church. And they'll pick up the phone and say, hey, can you come do this? But, but they're not really, really engaged day in and day out, week in and week out in the life of the church. They're, they're client church families. But a third category is what we call the collaborator church family. The collaborator church family was what my mom was describing in our kitchen when I was in high school. The collaborator church family is the kind of church family where, where everybody, from the youngest to the oldest, understands that this is who we are and this is what we do, that we are actually co-laborers. We're collaborating with the church to, to be everything God has called us to be, to do that which he has said he will do and allows us to participate with him, we're, we're going to collaborate with the church. And so collaborator church families kind of take a step back and understand the role that, that God intends the church to play within their particular family. Now, here's the thing about collaborator church families. Collaborator church families are kind of kind of betting on what Jesus said to be true about the church is actually true. Collaborator church families are those families who say we're going to we're going to partner with the church. We're we're not going to be out here on an island unto ourselves, but we're going to partner with the church to be the family that God has called us to be. We're going to we're going to strive to beat the odds. That, that we actually believe in the grace of God that we can destroy every dysfunction that we might have inherited. Let me just ask you a question. How many of us in the room inherited some dysfunction from somewhere in our families of origin? Anybody? Here's the thing. You know, don't be ashamed of that. Don't, some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. My mom's here. No, 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 listen. Here's the deal. We all inherit dysfunction. You, you know another word for dysfunction? called sin. Sin is dysfunction. It's, it's brokenness from what God originally intended when he created humanity. And we all understand that. So we, we've all inherited some type of dysfunction. You know, Emily and Joseph are now almost 24 and 22 years old. It's hard to believe, but, but we've already kind of started compiling. They're, they're, Joseph's about to finish college next year. Emily's in grad school, but 
we've kind of set up another fund that we call their therapy fund. We just say, hey, look, you're going to need a therapist at some point. Just add that to the list, and we'll help you take care of that later on. That's funny. You should have laughed at that. But <laughs> the fact is, that's true for all of us. We, we've all inherited some dysfunction. And it's because of that reality that, that God gives us a church family so that we can be a church family, so that we can participate with him. This is how Jesus described it in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is kind of bringing the Sermon on the Mount to a close, to a, to a conclusion. And he says in Matthew chapter 7 something really, really strong about how to function in relationship with him. He says, anyone, say anyone. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. You're wise if you do what Jesus says. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone, say anyone, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I wonder, how many of us in the room know that the rains will fall and the winds will blow? How many of us have encountered some wind or rain in life, let's just say in the last two years? Anybody? Here's something we know to be true. Our kids will encounter wind and rains that we can't help them with. They. Thank you very much. They will encounter wind and rains. Lord, I just want to thank you for that moment as a communicator. That's about as good as it gets right there. Some thunder would be awesome right now. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to be greedy. Now, that, that's funny, but listen. I know, I know that Emily and Joe will encounter wind and rains in their lives that I can't help them with, that I can't bail them out of, that I can't buy their way through. They're going to have to know how to handle it. And if, if we teach them, if you teach your kids how to be a church family, we're, we're teaching them where to build their lives. It's fascinating. You know, when, when our kids are born, I, I think... I think the one universal emotion that every parent shares with every other parent is fear. I mean, fear is an ever real and pre present companion to parenthood, isn't it? I mean, if you're not a little bit afraid, you're not paying attention. But I mean, first, like, like, when our kids are born and they're, they're toddlers and, they, you know, we kind of, they survive and, and they, 
we get them to where they're toddlers, and we kind of start going, okay, Lord, how many days a week should we do preschool? And then we worry about, you know, kindergarten. Are they reading fast enough? Are they keeping up? Should we get them a tutor? They're only four. It's going to be fine. <laughs> then we worry about middle school. They've got to learn how to study because high school's coming up, and then there's the SAT and the ACT, and they've got to get into college. It's got to be the right college, University of Texas, and it's getting harder. And then, and then if they get to go to Texas, will they get a bit into the sorority that they should be in? We worry about all these things, and, and, and it comes from a good place. It does. But what are we teaching our kids to build their lives on? Better way of putting it, what are we betting our lives on? What are we, what are we teaching our kids to bet their lives on? Jesus, Jesus said something really profound. He, he said a lot of things really profound, but one in particular I want to share with you right now. <laughs> and, and it happened at an interesting moment. He, he started the conversation by asking a very casual question of the disciples. He said, hey, who do people say that I am? It's a good question for a leader to ask. You know, he goes, I, I know you're going to hear stuff that people won't say to my face. So, so what are they saying about me, you know, on the street? And they said, Lord, you, you're not going to believe there's some cray-cray stuff out there in the original Greek, cray-cray. They said, you know, some people say that you're Elijah or John the Baptist back from the dead. Maybe you're, that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets back from the dead. It's crazy out there, Lord. You wouldn't believe it. But he followed that casual question up with the most penetrating, important question ever asked. And, and by the way, it's a question that every single person ever will answer at some point. Jesus asked his friends, he said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say he is? And, and of course, you, you probably if you've been you know, reading it all, you, you, of course, Peter, Peter was the one who blurted out, you're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. The Messiah. The anointed one. The king of kings. The promised one of Israel. The hope of the world. That's you. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, well done, Peter. Actually, he said, well done, Simon. Because until this moment, this was just the fisherman known as Simon. Simon, son of Jonah. And Jesus said, well done, Simon. Because you didn't learn this from flesh and blood. No, nobody taught you this or, or handed you a cheat sheet. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And you've believed it based on the facts of what you have seen. Well done. And so from this moment, you were no longer Simon. From this moment, you will be Peter. In the original Greek, Petros. The rock. You will be the rock, Jesus said. But, but yeah, look at what he said after that. This, this is fascinating. In Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16, 18, he says, And I tell you, you are now Peter, Petros, on this rock. It's where we get the word petrified, petrified rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Any questions? I mean, that, that's, that's pretty strong. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, the bride of Christ. The gates of hell. That means that Satan and all of his demons will never have victory over the church. That, that means that, that no temptation, no isolation, no disease, no disharmony will ever defeat the church, the bride of Christ. Now, follow this. Watch this. What if, what if the same could be said about our families? What if, what if your family and my family could, could receive a guarantee for success? Now, we've got to settle on what success looks like and what that really means, but the guarantee is that nothing, no disease, no disharmony, no temptation, no isolation, no scheme of hell will ever prevail against a family. That's true for church families. There's no other organization, there's no other team, there's no other group that you can sign your kids up for, drive them across town for, and know they will never, ever be defeated. It is only the church, the bride of Christ, that offers that kind of guarantee. Now, let me quickly say, I think extracurriculars are great. They're, they're awesome. I remember watching Emily play basketball, Joseph playing basketball, singing in choir. You know, to, to, hear, to hear your kids singing on key and know that you didn't pass down your vocal abilities to them, that's a gift. Julie will tell you, she, she mentioned this last week, which I really appreciate, that I, I have a tendency to cry, and that's okay. But when, I, when I hear my kids sing, I love it. It's great. But the choir is not guaranteed success. The cheer squad is not guaranteed success. The team, the sport, the extracurricular, the travel squad, they're not guaranteed success and victory no matter what. And so we've got to be smarter. We've got to be those parents that step back and go, okay, if we're going to be a collaborator church family instead of a cause church family, if I'm going to be a collaborator church family instead of a, a client church family, we're going to collaborate. We're going to co-labor. We're going to get some help as parents. How many parents would like some help? God's given it to you. He says, be a church family. This is who we are. This is what we do. Yes, we get up and go on Sunday morning. But here's the, here's the crazy thing. You're already here. People who really need to hear this are sleeping in. And we love everybody. But I believe we can do better. 
I believe we can have families that are stronger. I believe we have moms and dads who are smarter than the average. I believe that moms and dads want what is really best for their kids. I believe that with everything that I have. And what is best for our kids is that they might be able to answer the question, who is Jesus? That they might be able to say, he is my Messiah. He is my son of the living God because I've got a personal relationship with him that extends far beyond the walls of the house that I grew up in. It extends beyond the walls of the church that my family made sure I was tethered to and a part of and relationally and functionally connected to. Because I've got a faith that's real. You see, collaborator church families are not just a concept. They are the series of choices that moms and dads make to be who God's called them to be. To fulfill the calling, the responsibility to be a mom, to be a dad, to be a, to be a family. When my family blew up and my parents divorced, it was the church that showed me it was possible to have a healthy family. It was the church that showed me what it looked like for godly men to stay and do the work to be a husband, to be a dad. It was the church where I saw the power of God. It wasn't any more just stories and theory. It was real. But it was real because my mom made those choices. My mom kept us tethered when she had a choice. My mom stayed when others left. My mom made sure we could do the formal, we could play the sports, but come Sunday, Wednesday, we were going to be connected in the life of the church. It wasn't an also ran. It wasn't a unless we get a better offer kind of a thing. It was the centerpiece of our calendar. Now I know, I know that this runs counter to everything and everybody that you know. I know that. Here's the thing. Everybody wants to make a difference. I, I really believe that. I think everybody wants to make a difference. Very, very few people want to be different. But if you want to make a difference, you're going to have to be different. Now, let me make sure that you understand something. Don't be weird. <laughs> don't, don't be the weird Christian. Please. And if you are, don't tell anybody you go to church here. <laughs> Collaborator church families. Collaborator church families look different because they teach and they model that relationship is the center of life. Collaborator church families teach and they model that relationship is the center of life. It's not the job. It's not the dollars. It's not where you go to school. It's not your score on the SAT. Those things matter, but they are not the center of life. The center of life is relationship. 
Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? That's that's a question I would ask. We we love lists. It's kind of like, just tell me what I got to do. What what is the bare minimum? What's the speed limit? I'm going to go that plus about four. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It's relationship. Relationship with God through Christ. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It's relationship. It's relationship. It's relationship. First of all, with him. That's what we were created for. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is salvation, that they might know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 17, 3. It's knowing him, connecting, relating to him personally. Knowing and being known. But Jesus said, it's about relationship. And so collaborator church families orient their lives around those principles. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. And then if we can add some things on top of that, if we've got time to do some other things, great. But collaborator church families... They show and tell. They teach and model relationship as the center of life. But second of all, collaborator church families prioritize the church on their family calendar. They prioritize the church on their family calendar. And I kind of think that today may be the perfect day for this sermon, for this reason. Because we're not into summer yet. We're, We're getting there. I know some of you, man, you got one more week. Light at the end of the tunnel. I remember that feeling. Barely. But summer is the perfect opportunity for church families to to recalibrate. To kind of tweak the dials a little bit and, and adjust things. Now, if you get to go out of town, if you get to travel some over the summer, that's awesome. I think vacation is sacred. Now, if it's a family trip, that's great, too, but that ain't vacation. <laughs> Especially if you, the, the younger your kids are, the less of a vacation that is. Just take all that stuff, accoutrement. It's just, oh. But anyway, summer is the opportunity for us as families to recalibrate our time and our calendars and our schedules to kind of go, what, what are we really all about? What, what is most important to us as a family? And, and does our calendar reflect that? Does our calendar complement our confession? Does it really and truly line up? You see, church is is this amazing, amazing gift that God has given us. And I I know, I I know I'm the pastor. I get it. And and so some of you are like, well, he has to, he's biased. That's true. I am. I'm biased. 
Doesn't mean I'm wrong. The church is this amazing gift that God has given to us because we need, we need each other. We need this time to, to kind of to recalibrate. I remember when Joe was in middle school, and, and I, remember, I remember him coming home in, in the middle of a week, and, and he was getting harassed for, for being a good guy. Getting, he got called names. Listen, trust me, I'm not going to mention them here in church, but they were names. And I, and I remember him asking us, is it worth it? Is it worth it to be, a, to be a good guy? Is it worth it to be a Christian at school and to not go the way of the crowd? And of course, we're going to tell him yes, absolutely. But then he, he, he was here at church on Sunday, because that's who we are and what we do. And in middle school, he was over there in the, in the kids' building. And, and third graders, second, third, fourth graders whose parents put them there, second, third, and fourth graders saw this seventh and eighth grader walking around, and they thought he was the coolest thing in the world. See, kids think that you and I are old and about to die. <laughs> but when they see middle schoolers and high schools, high school students investing in them, they think, man, I can, I can do that. I, I could... I could go to middle school. I could go to high school and, and, and not drink. I, I could actually, I, I, could, I could do what they're doing. My, my parents, who knows what they do. But, but, but see, Joe got to be in that leadership position because we were going to be a church family. Not because I'm the pastor, but because we're followers of Christ. We're, we're, we're going to be a church family. This is who we are. This is what we do. No yelling, no arguing. Well, my kids don't want to go to church. That's interesting and completely irrelevant. That's fascinating. Do they want to go to school? Well, that's different. You're right. Church is eternal. School is temporary. Hey, study for finals anyway. This is who we are. This is what we do. We're not yelling about it. We're not fighting, but neither are we going to argue about it. This is what it looks like. And this is the hope of the world. This is the hope of our families. You see, God knew that we needed this thing called church. He, he knew. He, he gave it to us not so that we could add something into our calendar. He People have always been busy, but he knew that we needed each other. How many of you have ever read the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis? I'm just curious if you've ever read it. I cannot, I cannot endorse this strongly enough. It's almost as good as the Trust Protocol, but it's a great, great <laughs> book. I'm, t I'm kidding. Mere Christianity is something that every... I, I, you need to read it. Now, when you, if you order it from Amazon and it gets here tomorrow or Tuesday, you're going to look at it and go, I'll finish that one day at the beach. No, you won't. C.S. <laughs> Lewis, the author of Chronicles of Narnia and so many other, he was brilliant. But this is what Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity. He said, we have to be continually reminded of what we believe. 
Neither this belief, Christianity, neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. And as a matter of fact, if you examined 100 people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Don't most people simply drift away? Don't most people just kind of drift away? See, the priority of church is already established for us by Jesus. If you, if you look at the life of Jesus, you understand the priority of the church family for church families. In Ephesians chapter number 5, the Bible says that Jesus gave up his life for the church to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. What are you aiming at? That, that's, that's what Jesus gave himself up for. So that you and I, you and, you and I, could be presented without any blemish, wrinkle, or stain, without fault or flaw of any kind. And yet again, all roads lead to the cross. All roads lead to the cross, and the cross paves every road you can imagine. We started out talking about families doing church. Families being the church. And yet somehow we end up back at the cross where, where Jesus gave himself up for the bride of Christ to present you and me flawless before God eventually forgiven and redeemed. All of the good, all of the bad, all of the ugly for his purposes. You want to talk about a royal wedding? That is the royal wedding. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? If you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Christ, we want to invite you to do that just right now. And I want to ask, please, respectfully, that nobody is moving or stirring around or being a distraction to what God is doing in people's lives right now. And I thank you for not doing that. Because this is holy ground that we're on right now. If you want to begin a relationship with Christ, then just pray. Silently, right where you're sitting. Just talk to God and say, silently say, Jesus, I need you. I give you my life, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. I confess my sin, 
And I claim your forgiveness, Jesus. And from this moment forward, I will follow you. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, just remain with your heads bowed for a moment more. But if that was your prayer and you meant it, then I want to make sure that you understand this is the greatest moment of your life. It's this moment in your life and others like it that we exist for as a church family. And so we would love to, to be a family with you, come, to come alongside and help. And so if you would, I, I want to ask you to do just a couple of things briefly before we dismiss in a moment. If you would begin by filling out that Connect card that's in the program. You should have received one when you came in. If you just fill that card out, about halfway down you'll notice there's a place to indicate there, I, I committed my life to Christ today. You can go ahead and start on that right now. Fill it out, and when you've completed it, you can tear it off at the perforation. And before you leave, if you just hand that to one of our ushers on your way out the door, that they're the folks who wearing those cool blue shirts. Second of all, just for a moment, if you would, as our heads are bowed for another second, if you would just, if that was your prayer, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high for just a brief moment. And by raising your hand, you kind of indelibly stamp this moment in your life and in the life of this church family. Because we believe that after this moment in your life, nothing will ever be the same. And so as your family of faith, we want to come alongside, we want to help you. And to begin with, you can go ahead and put your hands down. We're going to go ahead and put our hands together and just tell you, welcome home. Welcome home and welcome to the family.